0: Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday.
1: This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, our guest is George Weigel, author of Lessons in Hope, a new memoir recounting the author's unexpected life and connections with St. John Paul II. George Weigel is a distinguished senior fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's a Catholic theologian and one of America's leading public intellectuals. He holds EPPC's William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies. From 1989 through June 1996, George was president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where he led a wide ranging ecumenical and interreligious program of research and publication on foreign and domestic issues, policy issues. In June 1996, he began working on a major study of the life, thought, and action of Pope John Paul II, which resulted in Witness to Hope, the bi- biography of John, Pope John Paul II, published in the fall of 1999. That book has since been translated into 12 languages, and a Chinese edition is currently in progress. Mr. Weigel is the author or editor of some 20 other books, including The End and The Beginning, Pope John Paul II, The Victory of Freedom, The Last Years, The Legacy. His essays, op-eds, columns, and reviews appear regularly in major opinion journals and newspapers across the United States. He's a frequent guest on television and radio, as he is today, and he is also a Senior Vatican Analyst for NBC News. George grew up in Baltimore, received a Bachelor of Arts from St. Mary's Seminary and University in Baltimore, and a Master's Degree from the University of St. Michael's College in Toronto, Canada. Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II will be released in September. Welcome
2: to the show, George. Thanks, Chris. Good to be with you.
1: So Lessons in Hope is essentially the third book in your trilogy of Pope John Paul II. What prompted you to write this one?
2: It was actually the reaction to the second book, okay. uh, the end and the beginning. When I was going around the country and indeed around the world uh, promoting that book, I discovered that what people really wanted was not more analysis, uh, not more history. They wanted stories. hmm Uh, This was five years after the Pope had died, and anything I could do to make him come alive again in a a real way uh, for them, uh, they were eager to get. So at that point, the idea of doing a memoir about this uh, rather striking and unexpected journey uh, came into my mind. And I have to say it was great uh, fun to write this. This is very different from the other two panels of the triptych. Uh, there, There isn't a single end note in the thing. Uh, it's all storytelling, and I hope people find it both enjoyable and inspiring, as I found him enjoyable
1: and inspiring. Yeah, but the book takes us all over the place. I mean, right. you, you go from, from your early days in Baltimore to, to that. Uh, tell our listeners the story of how... Uh, the Pope asked you to write the first biography. I think that's fascinating. Well,
2: this is this is a point I hope we finally get cleared up, which is that he did not ask me to write okay. the biography. Okay. I had the idea of doing this, and he agreed that he would cooperate. Okay. And that was my proposal in mid-1995. Uh, and over a dinner, which begins the book, uh, mm-hmm. which begins Lessons in Hope, in December '95, he made it kind of abundantly clear that he thought it would be a good idea if I did this. Mm-hmm. But the project was my idea uh, from the beginning. The Pope was not going around hunting for a biographer. Um, and I think the most, perhaps the most interesting thing about that early phase is that when I said to him in March 1996, uh, you can't see a word of this until I hand you the finished product three years from now, he simply said, of course. That's obvious. So um, he was immensely cooperative. He pushed me into areas of his life and his experience that I would not necessarily have gone into myself. Uh, Specifically, his work as a university chaplain, which I came to understand was absolutely crucial for understanding his priestly character and his concept Mm -hmm. of the priesthood. Uh, So it was a good collaboration, but you know, this was my responsibility, and he understood that.
1: And I assume that he also then gave you kind of a letter that said, this is okay to talk to
2: George about these things. he He wrote me a letter after I had written him in uh-huh. december ninety five saying thanks for dinner. Interesting conversation. Could I have a written indication of your disposition in mm-hmm. this matter. And about three weeks later, I got a personal letter from him saying he was very grateful for this offer of mine to do this and that he would be as cooperative as time uh, and circumstances permitted. Great.
1: So you talk about the fact that this is the telling the stories, the stories people want to hear. Do you have a favorite story or two about
2: the man who became the saint? We're, we're sitting here having this conversation in my house. And uh-huh. I suppose uh, one of the favorites um, involves this house. I, I have run a summer seminar in Krakow, his city, for over a quarter century now. And, uh, one, and and every year from 1999 on, I would write him a letter telling him about the seminar, the mm-hmm. students, what the topics were, uh, how things seemed in Poland, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And about two weeks after I had done that, in must have been 2000 or 2001, uh, I was working here at home. And I was really tired, and I said to my wife after lunch, I'm going to go up and take a nap, and I don't want to wake up unless the house is burning down or the Pope is calling. Well, 15 minutes later, uh, I hear her footsteps coming up the stairs, and she opens the door to our bedroom and says, I know what you just said, but he's on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> because he had gotten a letter out of Castle Vidalfo. of course he's." eight o'clock at night there, and he just wanted to talk about it, so we talked about it. That's awesome. It's the way it was uh, with him. He, until the very end, ran an extraordinarily open papacy. Uh, He understood that the Pope simply can't count on the normal channels of communication Mm -hmm. within the church to know what's going on. He's got to cast the net more widely than that. Uh, and he did that right up until the end.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember traveling in 1984 with Cardinal Joseph Bernardin of Chicago to Poland for 10 days with uh, the cardinal and 23 uh, Polish priests from Chicago. And then after that, we went for four days in Rome. And I said to the cardinal, I said, so are you going to give him an update on the situation in Poland? And he says he has other people in Poland who can who can do that very well for him. He doesn't need an American cardinal to, to tell him that. But I think it, it seems like the kind of thing where those back channel uh, that back-channel information can be much more useful than what's coming out in, in the public channels.
2: Well, I discussed that at some length in a, in a one of the less happy uh, chapters in the book about the abuse crisis of 2002, mm-hmm. Uh and describe how I went over there in April of that year, right after Easter, uh, to tell him things I had become convinced he simply was not getting mm-hmm. out of the normal channels of communication. And uh, I hope that was helpful, uh, but I wouldn't have had the inclination to do that unless I had known for the previous 15 years that mm-hmm. that's the way things that was worked with him, and, mm-hmm. and that was a good thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the memoir, you talk about your upbringing in Baltimore.
2: Uh, how did the church in Baltimore affect your early years? Well, for <laughs> for fifteen years, I tried to explain to John Paul II that Baltimore was the Gniezno of America. Okay. The Polish church begins in Gniezno. Uh, uh, Catholic church in the old colonial America begins in Baltimore. Well. You know, Gnesno had been an archdiocese for 700 years when the Archdiocese of Baltimore was created. So I don't think it's made a great impression on him. Not a perfect analogy. It's not a perfect analogy. But um, I think that sense of history, uh, of history involving real people. Uh, I went to the old cathedral school right across the street from the basilica. Uh, This is the most um, historic site in the history of the church in the United States, I mean, mm-hmm. more stuff happened there right. than, than any place else. The Baltimore Plenary there. Councils, sure. all of those things. Sure. Uh, and that that clearly had some sort of an impression on, made some sort of an impression on me. Uh, the first part of the book is uh, explains how things in my life that seemed utterly random at the time they happened, viewed through the prism of this fifteen-year experience with John Paul II. Came to seem utterly providential in terms of preparation for a task I never imagined uh, I would take on when, when these things were happening. So, you know, I talk about Baltimore in that context as well as other circumstances uh, in my life. And um, Bishop Bob Barron was kind enough to say in the blurb he wrote for the cover of the book that this is really a story about divine providence weaving two lives together in ways that neither one of them, neither one of the protagonists could have expected, but it seemed to work out okay. Yeah,
1: sure did. Sure did. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with George Weigel about St. John Paul II. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore.
3: Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. With the recent death of Donald J. Reitz, the Archdiocese of Baltimore lost its first lay superintendent of schools. Reitz led what was then known as the Archdiocesan Division of Schools from 1976 to 1979, taking a leave of absence from the professor of education post he held at Loyola College. Monsignor Paul Cook, who was working at the Catholic Center as secretary of the Education Department when Reitz became superintendent, described his friend as very collegial. He was known by so many Catholic teachers from the courses he taught at Loyola, Monsignor Cook said. When Reitz was hired, the Catholic Review reported that he was one of just 16 lay superintendent among 162 dioceses in the United States. He recognized the problems we faced, which are similar to the ones facing Catholic schools today, Monsignor Cook said. It's the summer blockbuster season with many new movies hitting the silver screen. To read the latest movie reviews with a special focus on faith and values, be sure to check out catholicreview.org. U.S. Senators must reject any bill that would replace the Affordable Care Act unless such a measure protects poor and vulnerable people, including immigrants, safeguards the unborn, and supports conscience rights, said the chairman of the U.S. Bishops' Domestic Policy Committee. Bishop Frank J. DeWayne of Venice, Florida, chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops' Committee on Domestic Justice and Human Development, called on the Senate to fix problems with the Affordable Care Act in a more narrow way, rather than repeal it with Without an adequate replacement, according to a report by Catholic News Service. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matasek.
4: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, the Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org that's catholicreview.org
5: the season of sacraments is nearly here first holy communion confirmation and weddings visit the baltimore basilica america's first cathedral and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs from beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries The Basilica Gift Shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for Hours and Directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic
0: Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL.
3: We're
1: back and we're talking with george weigel distinguished senior fellow of the ethics and public policy center and author of more than 20 books on theology the catholic church and of course saint john paul ii you mentioned in your new book lessons in hope that when pope john paul was cardinal carl voitiwa in krakow he would spend two hours each day writing in a chapel before the blessed sacrament just a few feet from where he was ordained as a priest I don't think you have a chapel here in your home, but how do you find the time and to do all the writing, much less the research for columns and essays and books? And, and what's your discipline on that? How do you do that, and do you combine that with
2: prayer? I'm, I'm not an agonistic writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 40-some years of doing this, I don't remember ever having a block. Well, uh, I'm jealous. But, um, I, you know, there, there's a certain discipline to it. Uh, I do most of my serious writing here at home mm-hmm. in the mornings, and then I go down to the Essex and Public Policy Center office in the afternoon. So I beat the beltway traffic both ways. Mm-hmm. I can get sort of a day and a half into each day. Uh, different projects call for different writing styles. I can write a column anywhere. I can write a column at an airport if mm-hmm. I guess I have to. Sure. Uh, the, the more disciplined, uh, annotated stuff I do uh, here at home, because I've got all my materials here. I've got my library, I've got a lot of my files, and so forth. Um, I should mention, it might be of interest, that all of my John Paul II stuff, as well as literally all of my records, are going to go to the Library of Congress on my uh, uh, demise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this will be of some interest to people, because Mm -hmm. I've had the... The uh, good fortune uh, to be in touch with many, many major figures in the Catholic world for for many decades. And that will include the audio tapes of my interviews for Witness to Hope, which will be digitalized and available uh, Mm. to people. Uh, so scholars a, can research, and, and that can, that includes twelve hours of conversation with Cardinal Ratzinger, as he as he mm-hmm. then was. I have no audio tapes of John Paul II. It seemed to me a bit vulgar to slide a tape recorder <laughs> across the Pope's dinner table, but I have a lot of handwritten notes from that, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and transcribed uh, conversation notes, which I was able to draw on for this book. Mm-hmm. My mother never threw anything away, and that that gene passed down the line, and uh, was very helpful in doing this book. Sure,
1: yeah, because you go back and there are stories, and I'm thinking as I'm reading through it, I said, "How did he remember this?" I just, you know, it, it happened so long ago, but but it's really it's great to have that detail.
2: Everything in Lessons in Hope, I can corroborate with simultaneous notes at the time, or I called up people who I thought were there at the time mm-hmm. and, and checked out the memory. Um, it's, it's the stories you tell stories about mm-hmm. uh, for many years that tend yeah. to get a bit elaborated yes. over time. Yes. Uh, but everything that's in here happened the way it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So Lessons in Hope really takes us all around the world, yeah. um, especially to places where things were difficult. You, you mentioned being uh, in, uh, in Haiti when the Pope was there, or I'm sorry, in Cuba when the Pope right. was there. Um, where was the church most threatened that you saw it? And, and how did St. John Paul have an impact on that?
2: Well, I was not with him, of course, during the great 1980s pilgrimages to Poland, but Mm -hmm. that was certainly the high drama in public terms of the pontificate. Uh, Cuba was heartbreaking. I have Cuban-American cousins in Baltimore. Uh, I've known the story of Cuba since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. uh but to see the wreckage that has been caused in Havana for example, which ought to be one of the most beautiful cities in the world by uh this mindlessness and viciousness uh, and to see how the pope could give hope to people who had been uh terribly pressured for years was mm-hmm. really something i i think it i think i know it's in this book uh The first day of the Cuba trip, well, the Pope was in, uh, where was he? I can't recall. Anyway, I was not on the out-of-Havana trip that day. Uh, And some friends of mine and I went to have lunch in the cove where Hemingway's old man set off for the sea. Mm -hmm. And uh, the owner hears us talking in English. And he comes over and in his own broken English asks if we were here for the Pope. And we said we were. And he started crying. Uh, The Mass that day had been a Mass for families. Mm -hmm. And he had heard the Pope's homily. And he simply said, I've been trying to hold my family together for 40 years uh, under this awful regime. And to hear the Pope praise us for doing that. Uh, and then he just couldn't say anymore because mm. he the waterworks were on. So that that was uh, that was really quite um, uh, something. I I will say, Chris. I think uh, while the threats are different, John Paul II had an acute sense of the danger, not so much for the church as an institution, although that was surely uh, true, but for the souls of people. Mm-hmm. Of the kind of uh, utilitarian view of the human condition mm-hmm. we measure people by their utility that he saw developing in the Western world
1: did it seem to make an impact
2: that when
1: he was one of the most traveling popes ever did it seem to have an impact that he visited all of these other places um, or or was just people seeing him on TV hearing his message was that enough?
2: I think the personal presence made a great uh, difference. He took very seriously uh, the Lord's injunction to Peter in in Luke 22:32 when uh, the Lord says, "New Peter must go and strengthen your brethren." He understood that modern t- transportation and communications technology made that possible in mm. a literal way and necessary. And uh, it and it made it made a serious difference. I mean, uh, historically uh, he made an enormous difference in the Philippines, in Chile, in Argentina, in Paraguay, uh, as well as in Poland. Uh, I think his presence here in the United States on uh, half a dozen occasions mm-hmm. uh, was one factor in keeping the pro-life movement going at a, mm-hmm. at a time when that was not uh, easy or simple. So, I, yeah, yeah, there's measurable uh, impact uh, here. Uh, and I think he created the papacy of, of the third millennium mm-hmm. uh, by by doing this. There's there's really nothing in uh, the present pontificate that was not previewed in the pontificate of John Paul II, including the theme of divine mercy. Right. That's all there. It's, all, it's there. all there.
1: Well, I know you're you're going to be uh, talking about the book and talking about your life and your connections with, with John Paul, in, uh, in September, right after the book comes out, and you'll be doing a book signing at the Baltimore Basilica. Can you give us some details on that?
2: It's September 21st. I think it begins at 7 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Let's hope the O's are still in the hunt at that, that would point. Be... Uh, yeah. that, would be, uh, that would be nice. Um, no, I'll talk for a half an hour or so about the genesis of the book, the Baltimore connections, what they meant mm-hmm. to all of this. And we'll have time for some conversation and then there'll be uh, I think a bit of refreshment and the opportunity for people to get books and have them signed. That'll be great, and that'll help out the Baltimore
1: Basilica too. I'm sure, because they'll they'll make some money off of the, the book sales. We hope. I hope so. We hope. If people can't get it, get to the talk at the Basilica. Where are they going to be able to find
2: this book? Uh, the, the easiest way is on any of the online book services, Amazon.com, okay. BarnesandNoble.com. But any any bookstore will have the book as of September nineteenth.
1: And that's Lessons in Hope, coming out from Basic Books in uh, mid-September, September September 19th? September 19th. Okay. And uh, so we've been talking today with George Weigel, author of Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II, which will be released uh, coming up in September. Thanks so much, George, for being with us today.
5: Thank you, Chris. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery, Bonnie Bray, or call 410 566